Are you interested in a life in ministry? Are you passionate about the church and how it functions? Do you not get enough of listening to pastors on Sundays? Well, you're in the right place. This is Under the Fig Tree, a podcast for people who are interested in church work. I'm Ben. And I'm Micah. We are two pastors who work at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Join us as we dive into the vocation of pastoral ministry, dig into scripture, and occasionally talk about other stuff like our unquestionable love for the Dallas Cowboys. And of course, we'll be talking about Star Wars. We'll talk to guests about doctrine, traditions, and what makes someone a good candidate for the pastoral office besides being called by God. And we may just help you figure out if this pastor or deaconess stuff is for you. Again, this is Under the Fig Tree from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody, and welcome again to Under the Fig Tree. I'm your co-host, Reverend Micah Glenn, and of course, I'm joined with the other co-host, Reverend Dr. Ben Haupt. What's going on with you, bro? Hey, good to be with you, and yeah, soon to be Dr. Micah Glenn. We'll see how that, uh, we'll see how that goes, but uh, I'm hopeful for that in your, your future, so. A few years away, but definitely on, on the path. What's going on in the, the Haupt household? Things are all right. Things are all right. We we had some some snow, so we enjoyed a, a snow day. We got to do a little sledding on uh, what is known as Art Hill uh, here in St. Louis. There's an incredible sledding hill in uh, Forest Park, uh, right in front of the Art Museum. And so uh, last night we were we were doing some sledding, and uh, it was it was pretty good. It took me back to my my days. Uh, of growing up in in Fort Wayne and having lots of snow and we had a little hill behind our house and uh, lots of good memories of, of sledding and mostly my brother you know shoving snow down the back of my snowsuit so that's what good brothers are for you know it's yeah. funny I'm a I was born in Hawaii we lived in South Carolina so I didn't I didn't move to St Louis until I was 11 and now I have three kids and they love playing in the snow and they always look so lovingly at me and ask me to play and I have to I have to decline I'm not sure if that makes me a bad dad but I, I just can't I it's I'm zero interest in playing in the snow even the sledding I just can't do it that that kind of reminds me of a gathering that we were at not too long ago uh, in somebody's backyard here on campus and uh, it, it was probably uh, I don't know a balmy 45 or 50 degrees but Micah comes out in his full parka zipped up to his chin mittens this this guy like we didn't know who it was because he had his mask on so we're like who who is this guy and and then uh oh yeah you know we're all out in our t-shirts and flip-flops it wasn't quite quite that stark but uh micah well, doesn't love the cold i think it's it's also kind of shady on that side of the street at that time of day i'm just gonna throw that out there as Fair well enough. yeah once it once it drops below 50 i'm uncomfortable outside and so, from 50 to negative 20, it feels about the same to me. So, so, so what's going on in the sporting world? I heard that there was like, uh, is it the World Series or the um, whatever that thing is yep. for football? The World Series of the World Football Championships. <laughs> that, that, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, did the so, Super Bowl already happen? It is not quite happened yet, but the stage is set. Uh, and it's actually an incredible stage. So on the one hand, you have Patrick Mahomes. He's in his uh, fourth year in the NFL, but only his third year as a starter. And he's going to back-to-back Super Bowls. The kid is 25 years old. 
uh, he he's if if he stays healthy and he plays the way I don't see his talent dropping off, he could very well be the goat by the end of his career. And on the other side, we have the actual present day goat, Tom Brady, going to his tenth Super Bowl, which is preposterous to to think has the opportunity to win his seventh Super Bowl. And Tom Brady now no longer plays in New England, but also plays in Tampa Bay now. And the Super Bowl is hosted in Tampa Bay. This is the first time in NFL history that the home team is also hosting the Super Bowl in their own stadium. I don't think it'll provide much of a home field advantage per se because uh, there's a lottery for tickets, and of course, because of COVID, it'll be it won't be a packed Tampa Bay crowd. Uh, but it's just it's just one of those special things and a kind of a bummer of a year in 2020. Uh, to have something like this to look forward to. Uh, the fact that they got through the NFL season from start to finish, there were COVID cases, but they everybody played all their games. is just a testament to their leadership. So yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, the other day, Johnny, not unsuccessfully, tried to get me to play Minecraft. We were playing some creative mode. Uh, but Johnny, he was he was on somebody else's server and he was like, can you help me? And I looked and I only know from from watching, but he was in the ender and didn't know how to get out. I, I, I need you and your boys experience. <laughs> well, he's just surrounded by lava. I was like, I think you're out of there, buddy. <laughs> so he was he was actually in the nether. He probably oh, wasn't in the, right. the, the ender um, at the ender dragon. But, uh, you know, if you're if you're not into Minecraft, I, I can understand for those of you that think that uh, Minecraft is this niche thing. I just learned the other day that Minecraft has sold 200 million copies of their uh, game. And uh, it is by far and away the most successful video game ever made by over 100 million. So the That's next crazy. the next closest is is under 100 million. Uh, some like Grand Theft Auto or something like that. So if you haven't heard about Minecraft, even if you're not a gamer, you, you might be living under a rock. Uh, so Minecraft is a thing and um, it is all the rage. Uh, we're going to get our special guest playing <laughs> Minecraft at some point. Yeah, so, I live under a rock. Yes. There you go. Uh, <laughs> he speaks. We'll we'll introduce our, um, our, our guest in a, a little bit. We're excited to have him. Uh, but yeah, we've been playing a lot of Minecraft. We 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 just re recently got a Minecraft Realms so that uh, my boys could play with their friends, and uh, that's a lot of fun. Then I'm the weird dad that's that's playing along too. Uh, but but it's it's a ton of fun and it's uh, challenging and yeah, it's a fun way to just kind of hang out with my kids. So um, I I think uh, our special guest probably has a lot to say about video games uh from some conversations with uh, uh that i've had with him and his son so without further ado why don't we introduce him so our special guest is uh leo sanchez a faculty member here at concordia seminary and a teacher of systematic theology we'll unpack what that is for our listeners in a a few minutes but uh leo tell us a little bit about who you are great to have you on the podcast Hey, good to uh, see you all. And uh, this is a very interesting discussion you had. Uh, you know, Micah comes from Hawaii. I come from Panama, Central America. So I didn't grow up with snow. But I do remember I was shoveling snow once when I lived at the, the, on the seminary campus. And uh, President Dale Meyer walks by and he looks at me struggling to shovel snow <laughs> and he asked uh, what are you doing 
And I said, cross-cultural module? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, at the seminary, we try to have people engage in cross-cultural uh, learning. And so that was my cross-cultural learning, you know, shoveling snow. So I've always uh, been fascinated by snow. <laughs> You know, and then and then I was listening to you talk about football, and I'm thinking, world, world championship or world series or whatever, you know, like with baseball, everything is world. And I'm thinking, that's a pretty small world, you know. That's like uh, up north. <laughs> yeah. Up what happened to the rest of the world, you know? So I mean, it's uh, it's coming from another country gives you a little a little different perspective, right? Like uh, we're big on soccer, right? Yeah. Because right. When you say World Series of, of football, <laughs> in most of the world, that means a, a soccer ball, soccer, right? Yeah. Not, yeah, not, right, uh, right? Not a pigskin uh, yeah. oval. But, you know, uh, I do watch the Super Bowl. So yeah. that's my one football game each year. And it's mostly because I want to eat some fun stuff that night. <laughs> there, There is usually a pretty good spread of Super Bowl parties. It's I know. Like when people I know. bring out all their best stuff. <laughs> it is. I get it. And then there are, of course, people who watch it for the commercials. I, I could do without the commercials, personally. Just Let's just see yeah, the game. Let's get to it. And then with the video games, you're right, Ben. My son is a video game uh, design uh, major yeah. at the uh, University of Southern California. So I'm, I live under a rock. So I let him take care of the game business. You know? All right. He can We're excited to family yeah. that. <laughs> We're excited to to see what what he comes up with. I, I think it's so important for Christians to be involved in things like video game design and uh, just just participating in their vocation in uh, all these different spheres. Uh, yep. But but that's that's fascinating. And he's going to a really, really good school. Um, so that's, that's super exciting. So good. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're going to, uh, we're going to dive into a text today because we, we always do that here on under the fig tree podcast. We look at a text of scripture and we kind of use that as then a, a way to start a conversation around what we're thinking about. Uh, so this week we're, we're talking about unlikely candidates uh, unlikely candidates to follow Jesus, unlikely candidates to serve Jesus in a professional way. And so uh, what more Resonates of us just a little bit? Yeah, it, it does yeah. with sign me up, sign me up. <laughs> we all have all have stories and we're going to we're going to tell some of those stories in a little bit of why we all are unlikely candidates, each in, in unique ways. Uh, today, we want to talk a little bit about the unlikely candidate of Matthew. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the first gospel is named after him, the gospel according to Matthew. Uh, but here is Matthew's story of being called to follow Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Sinners like Matthew. I've been watching uh, recently the chosen this uh tv series this tv mini series series uh filmed by dallas jenkins and and uh it strongly features matthew as a character in this story um and uh it's a fascinating take on on matthew but you you see especially how deeply uh, involved he is with Roman politics. And he's clearly the the outsider. All the religious people hate Matthew because though he comes from a Jewish household, he is seen as basically a traitor to the Jewish people because he's working with the enemies, the Romans, and he's he's helping the Romans to charge fellow Jewish citizens uh, their taxes. And uh, so very controversial, very, very divisive uh, sort of figure, uh, certainly an unlikely candidate to be uh, a gospel writer and a, a follower of Jesus. Well, like, uh, you know, when I read this text, like like many texts, you don't want to make too many assumptions, but also where scripture is not exclusive, don't make it exclusive. Uh, this is why we we baptize babies, because when they baptized the household, they said, Baptized. They didn't say it doesn't say baptize everybody but babies, but it baptized the entire household. And what I'm getting at is that tax collectors, especially in this time, uh, the first century, are kind of seen as scoundrels, often use their position for self-gain and things of this nature. And while we can't overly assume that Matthew was one of these scoundrels, it doesn't say that he wasn't a scoundrel, but he's also listed with the tax collectors and sinners. Um, and this is one of the guys that Jesus calls to be one of his first disciples. And it's it's just a, a remarkable testimony, A, for all of us average day guys that become pastors who are aspirations to be pastors. That if somebody like Matthew and the others can be a pastor and you ask yourself, is this something that I'm cut out for? Uh, is realizing that uh, without Jesus, the answer is no. But because Jesus is who he is, and that's who we preach and who we lead to, it, who you are and what you've done in a past life or anything like that uh, can become relatively meaningless uh, because we're all in need of the same doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the implication of this text seems to be that everybody's in need of a physician. So everybody's in need of Jesus. Yep. You know, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Uh, and that's kind of a, a a way of putting the Pharisees in their place. And uh, and it's interesting because, you know, sometimes I think that there are people who are thinking about serving in some way, but they feel that maybe they are not uh, properly equipped uh that you know or they come from the wrong part of town or they they didn't get the education that you're supposed to get or you know uh, you know it's, it's always about uh being unworthy of mm. the call and uh, and what jesus is saying here is you know i i get to make those decisions i am the one who makes the unworthy right a disciple 
And and I remember, you know, when when I was in college, back in the day, I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, but <laughs> uh, I remember that, you know, I, I had kind of two different sets of uh, friends and acquaintances uh, and peers, uh, some who really struggle with the church not being perfect, you know? The church has, has a bunch of hypocrites in there, you know, a bunch of people who are uh, basically not worthy of being there. We got to work on that church and stuff. <clears throat> I were really uh, sort of frustrated by it and uh, offended by it. And then another group were kind of like the tax collectors <laughs> 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 and the sinners that Jesus is talking about. There was really nothing perceptibly good about these guys. I mean, they were sort of getting in trouble all the time and so on. Now, here's an interesting thing. The ones that everybody saw as kind of being out of it, being kind of unworthy, a bunch of those uh, guys ended up going to, into service in the church. And a bunch of the guys who thought that the church was not perfect enough were so frustrated by it that they did not go into service in the church. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, I love are, what... Go ahead, uh, Micah. I was just going to say, those who are forgiven much love much. When you yeah. understand uh, the consequence of living in sin, you understand the, the damage that it's doing to people who are... Yeah. struggling with that you know we see people in lowly positions and we just assume that they love to be there and they want to be there and sometimes right. they just don't know how to escape that kind of lifestyle so well, guess what group i was in well <laughs> <laughs> we thought you would just tell us because uh we weren't going to uh make any assumptions yeah uh probably the same group i was in be my guess there you go <laughs> i i love that that matthew uh, describes these people that Jesus is hanging around as sinners. That's mm. a very interesting word, right? It, it's a very religious sounding word, but I think in, in the context, it was used by the religious people in a very pejorative sense, specifically for people who were not religious or who were anti-religious or who didn't fit uh, the, the mold and certainly weren't following the, the commandments and these sort of things. Uh, I was just looking uh, before the podcast a little bit uh, later in in Matthew. Uh, Matthew will record that Jesus at Jesus betrayal in Matthew twenty six forty five uh, when when Jesus is betrayed. Uh, Jesus says the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So Jesus Jesus lets himself be taken up by sinners. Uh, be be crucified for sinners, uh, not because he hated those sinners, but uh, he he wants to end up in the hands of sinners. Um, man, isn't that a, a twist? There's the uh, sinners in the hands of an angry guy, but here we have God in the hands of angry sinners. And um, that how amazing it is that Jesus uh, hangs out with sinners eventually allows himself to be betrayed into the hands of sinners, uh, lets a sinner like Simon the Cyrene uh, carry his cross and and um, and then calls sinners like like us uh, to follow him and to to preach his word. 
um, yeah, I, uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about our personal stories, but I can certainly relate. Yeah, and you know, the, the what's interesting too is that uh, this would have been people uh, like Matthew uh, the, who were um, uh, seen as marginal. Mm. You know, uh, they they don't fit into the religious mold. They, you know, the they don't meet the expectations of what it means to be religious and pure and holy and all of this stuff. You know, so they're kind of excluded, right? They're marginalized uh, uh, people, and uh, and it's interesting that that's that's where Jesus uh, picks his disciples from. <laughs> I mean, if you think about his disciples, they're uh, Galileans, and uh, you know whether they're from uh, uh, Nazareth or from Bethsaida or from Cana. Uh, it doesn't matter where his disciples come from, but they all come from, you know, that region of Galilee uh, where supposedly nothing good comes from, right? So we remember uh, in John the calling of uh, Andrew and you have Philip in there too, or you have uh, 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 Nathaniel wondering if anything good can come out of Nazareth in Galilee. You know, so Jesus himself would have been seen as a sinner. Uh, Jesus himself would have been seen as kind of outside of the religious establishment. You know, Jesus himself would have been seen as the marginal one, as the one who doesn't fit, you know, and he hangs out with sinners. So that also proves it, you see. Mm. So I think this critique goes even to Jesus. Mm. Um, And so... uh, but but Jesus shows us, I think, the way that in some ways God works. You know, God works out of, you know, the places that are seen as uh, uh, unholy by the world or in the eyes of the world. And he does his work out of the least likely places and through the least, uh, the most unlikely people. Right, and the and the Bible is full of those stories, you know. So Matthew being uh, uh, giving you one glimpse, your your words jogged. So you know when we uh, there's ordination, everybody has the Bible verse that they memorize as we lay our hands on our new brother in Christ into ministry, and uh, Paul, another unlikely candidate. (laughs) I think (laughs) if there was ever an unlikely candidate. Paul, who was once Saul, is one of them. But in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so uh, the fact that Jesus saved the world through the ultimate power of weakness, death, uh, just demonstrates, uh, again, the power of God and, and how he desires to work in the world. It's just, it's just, it's just put together so perfect to where uh, mm-hmm. people like us can step into this, this position uh, stumble through it for 40 or 50 years and, and still be effective for the purpose that God has called us into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Dr. Sanchez, I'm I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your, your personal uh, journey toward uh, being a pastor in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and now a professor uh, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. What, what was the, what was the path 
like uh, for you to um, to grow up and uh, tell us a little bit about your your upbringing and how you wound up uh, studying for uh, for for pastoral ministry in Jesus Church. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I'm of the Matthew stock, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know I was called by Jesus, though uh, unworthy, uh, to serve His church. I often I tell people, uh, you know, I'm a good example of how God works through foolishness to reveal His wisdom, and how God works through weakness to reveal His strength. This is the mystery of the cross, right? Uh, but it applies also to the church and to the servants of the church, you know. So, um, and the way this began uh, was already in Panama. You know, I was I was born in Chile and I grew up in Panama. Uh, but I come from a, a family that wasn't really involved in the church. Uh, but they wanted me to have some kind of connection to it. So I, you know, spent some time among uh, Roman Catholics and Pentecostals, hanging out with, you know, different friends in, in both uh, communions. Uh, but my involvement with the Lutheran Church came through a foreign exchange program. When I was in high school, ended up in Williamsburg, Iowa, population 5,000. Uh, <laughs> Was that different than Panama? Panama? Yeah, <laughs> Panama to Iowa. And that's where I saw snow for the first time. And watch football games for the first time. By the way, uh, there wasn't a lot of gaming in, in among the farmers there. <laughs> <laughs> but we watched a lot of movies, and uh, you know, ate a lot of deer sticks. <laughs> you know, uh, the only hunting that we did in the city was in supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a wonderful. Uh, they, they were the ones who introduced me to the Lutheran church and the lutheran church missouri synod and we began a relationship there and that you know there were a, a catechism a classes and uh, ended up being confirmed my senior year of high school in williamsburg uh, iowa and then that led to concordia university uh, wisconsin where i was in the pre-seminary program for a while then i changed to the theology program but uh, I really struggle, I think, with the question of whether I should uh, come to seminary. Mm. You know, I think I always felt that I was sort of outside of the right uh, mold. Part, part of it because, you know, I didn't come from a Lutheran background. Um, part of it because I came also from a Latin American background where we had no connection to Lutheranism. You know, so I think uh, there were certain, uh, uh, you know, certain things that made me feel, I think, a little bit more like an outsider, you see. And uh, but I experienced the great hospitality of people uh, who were Lutheran, like that family in Iowa, and then other people along the way. Uh, who really encouraged me to think about ministry, even though I did not feel that I was necessarily equipped to do that. Uh, and one of those mentors was actually uh, uh, Res uh, Reverend Roosevelt Gray. I always call him my spiritual father, right? Who's been, uh, who's had uh, uh, been a leader in African-American uh, black ministry in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. 
And along the way, too, encouragement from uh, Douglas Rutt, uh, who used to be area director for Latin America for uh, what used to be LCMS World Mission and now is a provost at Concordia Seminary. I remember Douglas Rutt took me to the first Hispanic National Convention of the LCMS or conference, whatever it was called back then. We drove together. Uh, you know, uh, and then stay at the same hotel and everything so that I could experience and, and be connected to that community. And that made me feel also that that I was uh, that I had a place that I was part of a family that included people of, of different uh, ethnic groups and different cultural backgrounds. And that our Lutheran church also was a uh, a church that reflected the Catholicity, the universality of, of of Christ Church, you know. So those were some experiences I had. So, I, you know, I was being molded little by little uh, into the into uh, thinking that church work was a possibility. Well, I'm glad that God grabbed a hold of you and uh, has has brought you to this place. Um, Dr. Sanchez, he's he's not a, a self-promoter, but he's got two books uh, that uh, people should should pick up if you're uh, checking him out on Amazon. Um, at least two, right, Dr. Sanchez? Yeah. And yeah, um, in English. Oh, there, yeah, there you go. Right. So some some of our listeners might be uh, might also have have Spanish, and um, you have you have written a lot in uh, Spanish as well. So yeah, uh, we're grateful that God has brought you to this place and uh, made you our our colleague. Yeah, no, so, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> so, Michael, let's hear your story. What what makes you an unlikely candidate for uh, <laughs> following Jesus and for pastoral ministry? That's a tough question because I feel like there's a never-ending list, right? You know, it's one thing that 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 gets overlooked just because it's it's just not a thing that comes up very often. Is but I'm a military brat, right? And my dad was a Marine until I was 11, and so I lived on a military base. Not to say that I was totally sheltered and had no experience with civilian world, but I didn't live in a civilian world until I was 11. Um, and it's hard to explain to people that living on a military base, although it might be in the United States, is nothing like living in the United States of America. Uh, it's it's It might as well just be a foreign country to some extent. And so... Uh, we we did go to Lutheran churches when we could, when my dad was a Marine. I think for the five years we lived in Beaufort, South Carolina, we might have gone to like a Presbyterian church or something like that. Um, but but just that, that little nuance of being a military brat adds one thing. But then also, like, you know, when I was 18, I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but just after I graduated high school, uh, church became difficult. Uh, it's a tough age. You're going to school, you're trying to figure out life, and sometimes congregations just simply don't have anything congregationally for people that age. Uh, something that we should all be thinking about <laughs> as we're mm -hmm. lamenting a generation being gone from the church. Uh, but but the the short story is, I just I just really like to party as a a young person. I would I would go to the bar all night and and wake up ten minutes before class and speed to get there with crust in my eyes, uh, and I just didn't take school very seriously. Uh, I'm not gonna say I didn't take my life very seriously. I just I just had different priorities, 
And then if you if you look across the board, this is beginning to change a little bit. But like you know, I'm, I have tattoos, <laughs> uh, even on my forearms. Um, it, it, when I got to Concordia, Chicago, the the pastor's camper, pastor camp, campus pastor. That was a tongue twister for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Leininger, he was like noticing one of my tattoos. He's like, "But you're you're done getting tattoos now, right?" I was like, "Why?" <laughs> I was like, "Why? I don't get it." Uh, and, and of course, I've gotten more tattoos since then. Uh, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, historically for our synod, I think the image has been like a clean cut. You don't have a beard, but maybe you have a mustache kind of guy, uh, well trimmed. And I'm just, I'm just not that. I'm just not. I'm, I'm a, I'm a round peg if it, with, with lumpy sides. You know what I mean? So I don't even go into the circle hole. Uh. I'm just, and that's, I think that's perfectly fine from where I'm sitting, but it's, it's just one of those things, like, you know, apart from being biracial, like, you know, in the LCMS, we're, we're not a very ethnic church to begin with. So being, I never had any black pastor or any non-white pastor growing up. And so that's, that's another thing that's hard to explain to people is, you know, when you think of yourself in a, a position as an adult from, from when you're a kid, you, you kind of look towards things where you see other people like you who even look like you uh, hold certain positions. And so, I, I mean, I don't think I met a non-white pastor in the LCMS in, until college even. So, um, that, I mean, not just to make ethnicity about it, but but again, like even me, like even now, like I, there, there are days where it's, you know, I'm a sinner <laughs> and I wake up, I'm like, man, is, you know, that good old, is that something a pastor should think or say? And then uh, I do what everybody else does. I wipe my hand. No, I'm just messing around. I repent. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. I'm just a, I'm just a dude. Um, and and that alone, if you've lived life long enough and you've tried enough different things, that that'll put you in that mindset where in, when you think of at least think of Jesus, <laughs> and that being the the prototype it's like man i'm so far from that how could i ever preach to anybody and do it faithfully from a pulpit and try to hold people accountable when i i struggle with some of these things myself so it's yeah it's 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 a challenge but it's it's a it's a good one yeah jesus welcomes sinners yeah <laughs> so so ben from pentecostal moments to Uh-oh. associate provost of uh of our great institution concordia seminary what makes you an unlikely candidate for ministry <laughs> well in in some ways uh people might might look at my my last name it's very german right haupt um <laughs> kind of hard to pronounce for most people but um very german i i grew up in a lutheran household i grew up in fort wayne indiana people might look at me and say well he's the most likely candidate for of pastoral ministry in the LCMS, and yet, uh, my my childhood was tough. I was I was uh, probably the second most picked on kid in my class, um, and and I would say, you know, certainly my my grade school years and and even into some of my high school years uh, were were nothing uh, less than miserable. Um, I I was I was always the kid that as soon as I opened my mouth, somebody would find something to to uh, uh, laugh at me about. And so um, 
I had I had zero confidence uh, when I was in high school. Um, mm. I tried to kind of uh, stay to myself. I, I had a friend or two that that were really really close, but um, man, I I always tried to stay out of the limelight because uh, I knew that as soon as I was in front of a group of more than two people, uh, somebody was going to find something uh, about what I was saying, and they would find it hilarious and would enjoy and would would welcome other people to uh also join in the laughter at my expense um so so oh, i spent i spent look a at lot you now, of my, man. who's laughing now <laughs> who's laughing now baby <laughs> um, no it 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 was uh it was a tremendous uh, uh work of god to take this this kid that was uh i mean all the time in tears as a as a kid and to for me to stand up in front of a group of people and present or to preach, um, that was not uh, who I was as a as a kid. Um, and and so uh, I I love connecting with people that have been on. Uh, Leo, you talked about being on the margins uh, mm-hmm. or people that have been overlooked, right? I love hanging out with people like that because I know what it feels like to be on the outside of a group looking in um, and and how difficult that that sometimes can be. But I, I think that it was actually a great gift, right, that that God gave me in those experiences because they they shaped and formed and molded me in ways that uh, I mean, I love those those classmates that maybe gave me a little bit of a hard time. Maybe I probably uh, invited some of uh, of my of my own. Um, I was a probably an overly sensitive kid. Uh, but but I love those experiences because God used the the bearing the cross moments, those difficult moments to to shape and mold me for for work in his kingdom. And so I, I love to be with people that are hurting. I love to be with people that feel like they have no hope uh, because I, I know what that feels like. And for then to know that God reaches down and grabs a hold of people just like that and uh, gives them a hope, gives them a future, forgives them of their sins or their deep shame that they carry and says, uh, you're mine and I love you and I love you uh, the way I've I've made you. Uh, that's a, a fun thing to be a part of. So that's my uh, that's my story. And of, it's interesting uh, how uh, God uses uh our life experience you know uh, which we often see as lacking in so many ways and he uh uses that so that we can connect with others and serve others who otherwise would be uh difficult to reach right to establish a connection with so you know in in some ways being an outsider because of language and culture and uh, uh, and as I like to put it, having an accent, uh, what that does is that then it connects you with, you know, with other people who feel the same way or who come from a similar situation. So a lot of my work over the years has been with immigrant mm. groups or thinking even theologically about issues like migration, you know. Because there has been a real connection with yeah. with neighbors who come from those backgrounds. Because I am a first generation immigrant to the United States, 
you know, so I think, you know, God can use all of that uh, and it can uh, bless people through that. And to me, that's that's a great miracle, you know, that it, that ultimately it's not even about uh, us, but it's about all the people who are served by our work. So maybe I think it's healthy sometimes to think not so much in terms of, you know, how am I? Uh, unworthy or how am I not equipped? Some, maybe maybe that's too much I-I talk. Maybe sometimes we have to think, uh, how am I a broken vessel, right, who's always going to be lacking in some ways, can be nevertheless used powerfully by uh, by God, you know, by his Holy Spirit to shape us and, and, and you know, uh, bring us into you know, those relationships with others. I always remember, I have to tell you this, when my family knew that I was going into ministry or going to seminary in Panama, they actually formed a circle. It was a very communal thing. It was almost strange. Uh, everybody around, the uncles, cousins, and all of that, you know. And so they, they all went around the, the uh, you know, kind of uh, around the circle and started giving me their best wishes or talking about, you know, uh, events of our lives or whatever. And uh, my father said something that I always remember. He wasn't sure about me going into the ministry, you know. Uh, remember, we didn't come from a church family. Uh, but he said this. He says, you know, uh, there will be many generations that will be blessed by by you. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And now, all these years in ministry, I have the children of former students sometimes come over and say hi. I end up teaching sometimes. Look at that. You know, uh, the, 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 the children of people who maybe had a place in my life coming into the church and I, I, have, I have been able to see how the little work that one does out there has begun to bless other people and their lives. And, uh, and to me, that is uh, a great payoff. You know, it's, it's really a great life to live. So don't let the I, I, I doubts uh, prevent you from seeing the you know, the many ways in which God can use your life experience and your uh, gifts uh, to bless many. I used to, when when I was a, a missionary in Ferguson, it, it wasn't like the, the first the first look, but like I, I, I would wear my clerical sometimes, but I found that there, not having the clerical meant more people would be willing to sit down and have conversations it just kind of changed the dynamic but when i was especially when i was wearing short sleeves people would walk in and they'd always first be like wait you're the pastor because they would see the tattoos and everything else <laughs> like that i'm like yeah man just just chill bro i got it <laughs> what's going on what's going on but like but then like in the conversation being able to tell like because i i grew up not far from from where i was working and so like my dad was a marine for 20 years and when he retired unfortunately he was disabled so he in in the marine corps he was an air winger plane mechanic and they're like oh you know when you retire you'll be able to to take a job at boeing or something like that 
And my dad had a, a difficult choice. He could have maybe started to work at Boeing, but he could see the writing on the wall that he was beginning to be too crippled to continue to be uh, a plane mechanic because he has rheumatoid arthritis. So he chose disability instead. And so financially, we, we struggled, uh, especially in the, the very early years. You know, my dad, nor my neither my parents had college degrees when my dad retired. And so at some point, my dad decided to go back and get his bachelor's degree. And my mom was a bank teller making like, you know, eight bucks an hour or something like that. And we're a family of seven. And so I, I'm like, I used to have to tell people, it's like, I'm, I'm not in your shoes now, uh, but believe me, <laughs> mm. I, I, I know what it's like to be hungry. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm hungry. Like, let's go look in the fridge. I'm talking about hungry and there not being anything in the fridge. Right. Uh, mm. And it was always one of those. It's like, so I've been I've been close to where you are today. And, and these are the types of things that I did to move on. And, and this is how God has, has helped me. Um, e- even even in the hunger. So it's, it's not just a spiritual thing, but it's also a physical thing and an emotional thing. Uh, but being able to sit down and, uh, like you said, empathize with people because you've been there before uh, is, is a, is a powerful thing. I, I, that's, that's why, again, I, the need for so many different people that are not just unlikely candidates, but unlikely candidates for different reasons. Uh, that's why we, we need people to, to become pastors just because you have, you have no idea of the type of people you're going to connect with just because of what you struggled with in life. Yeah. And I think what, what I hope listeners take away from is, is a, that obviously there are lots of different, uh, stories out there of what makes someone an unlikely candidate to come study at Concordia Seminary or to study theology or to prepare for professional church work. Uh, but, but no matter what your, your story is or what you think might hold you back, um, I actually think it's important to lean into those things because those are oftentimes exactly the places where uh, God will use to, um, to to prepare us for service to other people, like like you were saying, Dr. Sanchez, to keep us away from the I, 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 thinking too much about ourselves. Uh, we get tied up thinking about ourselves and instead we're thinking about the the other. So listener, uh, we hope that this has been a helpful episode. We're uh, looking forward to being back with you for another podcast episode of Under the Fig Tree soon. Uh, in the meantime, reach out to us, let us know what you're thinking about and God bless you in your uh, journey forward. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Under the Fig Tree. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus shows his followers how to care for his people. Oftentimes, this includes sharing the word in intimate moments of personal conversation like the Samaritan woman at the well. At other times, it's sharing the word with crowds like the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes, it's just being there for people when they are experiencing the worst moments of life, like when Jesus was there for Jairus when his daughter died. It's gathering his disciples around a table of bread and wine to hear This is my body. This is my blood. Whether it's as a deaconess sharing the word with the sick, or as a pastor preaching the word and administering the sacraments, being there for people at these intimate moments in life is something that Jesus is calling many more people to do. In Under the Fig Tree, we want to bring you into these moments with us, and maybe you begin to see yourself in one of these roles or feel yourself being called into service of the church. If you want to find out more about what it means to be a pastor or deaconess, 
visit us at csl.edu. And of course, keep listening to Under the Fig Tree.